It was a very cruel scene, executed in an unusual manner. Cruel Coven. Hey, sleazy cheesy balls. My name is Tori. I'm Katie. And welcome to Cruel and Unusual, the podcast. And if you have never been here before, I'm very sorry about it, but we talk about all things cruel <laughs> and unusual, like mysteries, true crime, disappearances, conspiracies, strange deaths, aliens. <laughs> did, did we say murder? Ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about everything that has to do, that, that falls under the true crime umbrella. Okay. And we... Like to have fun before and after. Before and after. So anytime we are discussing a case and the people involved, we are taking things very seriously because you have to remember that these things happen to real people. We're not talking about something that's fictional. No, but we will throw our jabs in at a fucking douchebag serial killer. We will. And before and after, it's fair game. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's get into it, motherfuckers. Articles? (laughs) Articles. Who's going? You're going to go first since you have the floor today. All right. My article is from HuffPost.com because I am a true millennial. (laughs) It's called Iowa Man Calls in Bomb Threat Because He Didn't Get Sauce for Chicken McNuggets. Fuck off. (laughs) This is by David Moy. Police say an Iowa man attempted to get revenge on his local McDonald's after he was shafted out of sauce for his chicken McNuggets. But things blew up in his face. Ankeny? A-N-K-E-N-Y. Where's this? Iowa, Ankeny, <laughs> Iowa, Ankeny, is that what right? What are you doing? Whatever. Police arrested Robert Golwitzer Jr. on Saturday night after he allegedly threatened to blow up the restaurant and punch an employee over missing condiments, according to ABC affiliate WHO. Hmm. Come the fuck on. Here's the thing. What he could have done, and what most people do, is either A, go without It'll be okay. You'll survive. And next time you can make sure that you get it. And or B, drive back around, drive your happy little ass back around. What I think happened is he was already at home, opened the bag, realized he didn't get his sauce. God damn. Or just don't eat it or check your bag before you leave the drive through. Because these people are fucking busy. Exactly. And everybody makes a goddamn mistake. Okay. Wow. I'm mad. You are mad and I'm mad too. Investigators told the station that the 42-year-old suspect called the fast food chain after discovering his order was incorrect. After police contacted Golwitzer, the sauce-craving suspect admitted to making the threat. Authorities arrested Golwitzer Saturday night and charged him with a felony charge of making a false report of explosive or incendiary device, according to CBS affiliate KCCI. On Sunday, he was released from Polk County Jail after posting bond. I do have one more question. Yes. Something that has really been perplexing me ever since you said it. He called the rush. He called the fast food place. Mm -hmm. Normally when you call a fast food place, they don't answer. (laughs) I had to call one time. I can't even remember why. Yeah. I had to call a McDonald's once and a Culver's once. When I worked at Wendy's for one month in high school. Yeah. We were all responsible for answering the phone, and I remember answering it. Really? But well, there were two I've never personally called any, so I don't know. Yeah. There were two times I had to, and I can't remember why. But it just rang and rang and yeah. rang and rang and rang and well, rang and rang. nonstop busy. Right. Know? But I'm just thinking, like, I'm right. surprised that they answered. Yeah, they answered. And he said he was going to punch someone in the face and blow the place up over fucking condiments. You know? He is. And, and like, I realize that it probably is not the condiments. Yeah. That was probably just, like, the tipping point. That was probably the you last know? straw. Right. And, and I, I understand that. But you don't fucking do that. No. These people are human beings. Right. Trying to do their jobs. Right. And it's not cool. Right. Agreed. So, 
What's your article? Mine is from (laughs) Patch.com. And the headline is... (laughs) Who killed Ken Rex McElroy? Town keeps it secret for 38 years. Sundance TV series No One Saw a Thing looks at the killing of Ken Rex McElroy and the secret kept by Skidmore, Missouri for 38 years. I was hearing about this. Were you? On a different podcast, but (gasps) it wasn't this story. It was something else in Skidmore. Oh, really? Happened. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, okay. Um, The whole reason that I even saw this was because of Crime Door. And I have oh. the alerts on, and yeah. it was one of them that alerted me. And then I went down to read the articles, and bam, boom, bomb. Mm-hmm. This is what it was. Okay. Four decades after Ken Rex McElroy was gunned down on the main drag of Skidmore, Missouri, in one of America's infamous cold cases, the story of the notoriously brutal town bully has refused to die with him. No matter how much the farmers and blue-collar workers who live in the small farming town wish it would. How could it? Anywhere from 30 to 90 people watched the 47-year-old McElroy die in an act that ended his decade-long reign of terror over the people of Skidmore. At least some of the witnesses surely knew who fired the bullet that shattered the back window of McElroy's truck and blew off the back of his head. Yet, in a conspiracy of silence that has spanned the past 38 years, the townsfolk have held the secret close. The story was thrust back to the forefront this month by No One Saw a Thing, a six-part Sundance TV docuseries exploring the moral ambiguity of frontier justice and the unspoken yet universally intriguing question, when, if ever, does someone like McElroy deserve to die? I remember now, it was Crime Junkie, Oh, and they did um, the case of Branson Perry. Oh, I didn't listen to that. A couple weeks ago, and that was in Skidmore, too, and this town is like fucking tiny yeah it's said it's weird? a really small farming community mm-hmm. the story of ken rex mcelroy began on june 1st of 1934 he dropped out of school before he reached high school and by 13 was already a familiar character to the cops around nottaway county his lifelong career as a criminal started with petty offenses but he increasingly became more violent amassing a rap sheet that included nearly two dozen felony charges for assault child molestation statutory rape burglary, grain theft, and hog and cattle rustling. What? mm -hmm. Enterprises that kept a thick roll of $100 bills in his pocket. Mm. He sounds like a guy who also doesn't wash the back of his plates. Or his butt. Yeah, he's got an unwashed ass. McElroy, for the most part, escaped prosecution and, certainly, conviction for various crimes that he committed. Then, on the night of July 8th of 1980, McElroy shot 70-year-old Skidmore grocer Ernest Bow Bowenkamp, unwittingly setting up his own murder a year later. Everyone in town seemed to know McElroy had done it, yet he spent only a single night in jail for nearly killing the man. No one was surprised. McElroy, four years earlier, had pumped a couple of rounds of buckshot into the stomach of local farmer Romaine Henry as he tried to run the black guard off his land. This is farmers gone wild. (sighs) He got away with that, too. Wow. By the time McElroy was shot dead under the glare of the morning sun on July 10th of 1981, everybody feared his hair-trigger temper and brooding presence. Skidmore townsfolk may not all have liked how he was killed. It was murder, after all. But when he died, most of the town's 435 residents. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. They let out a heavy sigh of relief. 
they could finally sleep peacefully at night, especially Bo and Lois Bowencamp and their children. He was very cunning, McLean told Patch. He knew which people to pick on, the weak people, and he followed through on his threats just often enough to make people believe he was going to do what he said he was going to do. Bully. Bully. Big time bully. He had a legendary status and it all got to be bigger than he was. Somebody would hear his name and the legend grew bigger. When he got off on a trial, it grew even bigger. It went beyond just hammering people and being mean-spirited. He neutralized an entire criminal justice system. And in the summer of 1981, a jury handed McElroy his first ever, out of all those crimes, his first ever felony conviction for the lesser charge of second-degree assault. Not only that, they recommended he spend no more than two years in prison. So I don't know who he was, like, getting favor from. Yeah, somebody. But holy fuck. McElroy escaped jail on an appeal bond and could remain free until he exhausted his appeals, free to taunt his victims with what had become painfully clear. He would never go to jail. As the story has been told by McLean and others, McElroy showed up at the DNG Tavern in Pool Hall the next day, toting a rifle with a bayonet, a violation of his bond, of course, and threatened to finish off the Boeing camps, which, if you remember, was the guy from the grocery store Mm -hmm. or whatever kind of store that was. No one doubted he would do just that. Witnesses who saw McElroy with the gun gave the information the county prosecutor needed to request a bond revocation hearing. The townspeople organized a caravan to escort the witnesses to the hearing, both to protect them and to show solidarity. But then McElroy's lawyer got the hearing postponed, of course. That was the last straw, McLean said. That was the last failure of the criminal justice system. The townsfolk were infuriated. Dozens of them gathered at Skidmore's American Legion Hall on the morning of July 10th of 1981. What could legally be done about McElroy? They asked Sheriff Danny Estes, who had been elected months earlier. He left town just as Ken and Trina McElroy were driving in, likely passing McElroy's Chevrolet Silverado pickup in his cruiser on the road. When word spread that McElroy was in town, a couple of the men walked from the Legion Hall to the DNG. Get out of town, they said. As Trina told the story to reporters, a group of men followed them as they left the DNG tavern. McElroy started his pickup, and the sound of shots pierced the silence. A couple of men hustled Trina to a nearby bank away from the gunfire. When the shooting ended, McElroy was slumped over the steering wheel. No one called for an ambulance, and everyone just went home. When Essies and state troopers arrived back in town, the streets were empty and quiet, save the rumbling, smoking engine of McElroy's truck. And if you want to find out who killed him, or maybe who killed him, or who possibly could have killed him, you can watch that docuseries. Mm-hmm. Skidmore? <laughs> yeah. It's been on my list for a long time. I just, for whatever reason, haven't watched it. Neither have I, so no. I don't know either. I kind I'm of assuming want like to. vigilante, right? I'm picturing like a mob yeah. of, of people just right. like completely done with his shit. Right. Are you ready for your QOTDW? I am. Yes. Thank you very much for asking. This one is from our Facebook group from KDB. Okay. And she says, who, pick three, is on your hall pass list? Oh, fuck. I could probably um, guess yours. She, um, really quick, in case you don't know what a hall pass is, she left a little Oh, did she define it? Okay. 
She says, this is from Urban Dictionary. She copied and pasted it. She says, hall pass meaning, if anyone doesn't know, a slang term, a hall pass is used to refer an agreement between a couple that they can have sex outside of their relationship, generally on a temporary or one-off basis. Hall pass is specifically used to refer to permission for one partner to sleep with a celebrity without consequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who do you think mine are? Well, I know one of yours is that guy. Um, do you have him in your head already? I have a few. <laughs> okay, one of I yours... always have a few guys in my head. <laughs> I feel like one of them would be that one guy who you like a lot. What is his name? That one film. <laughs> is it a film? Film? Are you British? <laughs> Isn't a film? You really okay. like that one blonde guy. Mike Vogel? Yeah. I love him. Yeah. I would love him. Would that be one? Ever since Grind, the movie Grind. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and he's on that. He's on Sex Life. Oh, he is. Yeah. That's the guy. That's the yeah. girl's husband. I did not know that. But I haven't seen the show yet. Okay. I just love me a blonde guy and Evan Peters. Yeah. And <laughs> did you hear how excited yeah. I got? <laughs> I love him. And Charlie Hunnam. I just like the light-haired boys. Yeah, I, you do. That's just my type. I know. Okay. Isn't one of yours Gerard Way? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe Gerard Way. There's nothing no, wrong with him. It isn't Gerard him. Butler. <laughs> Gerard. Oh, no. What are we, 14 and hot topic? It could still be. You never know. Jack White does it for me, too. Yeah, He's truly, honestly, and sincerely. Yes, Gerard Butler <laughs> would be, like, probably number one. Gerard Butler. So, guys, Tori likes him tall, dark, and handsome. Oh, my God, yes. He's check, check, check. Mm-hmm. All of them. Um, and he's a little bit older. <laughs> yeah. Like my dad's age, but that's okay. Right. Um, who was the other one I was just thinking? Of? Oh, Evan Peters, of course. Evan mm-hmm. Peters. Just love him. And would there be a third? Do I have anyone else that I really like? You have to. Um, but my top two are definitely Gerard and Evan, even though Evan doesn't have dark hair. Mm-hmm. Hit me up. You know what? I talked to Mike Vogel. <laughs> yes, you did talk to Mike Vogel. <laughs> and I screenshot it. Uh-huh. Oh, I and you it. sent it to me. But yeah, you guys. I mean, now you guys know our type. Who we like, who we want to, and who we don't. Right. (laughs) Okay? Okay. You couldn't be more intimate. Right. Katie. Oh, my. Katie B. Oh, my. Now you know. My, 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 my. Now is where we're going to get serious. So if you guys don't, if this is your first one, remember in the beginning of the episode, I said, hey, I said we're fun in the front. We're fun. (laughs) We're a party in the back. (laughs) We're a party in the back. But in the middle, we get down to business and we're talking seriously about a crime that was committed. Mm -hmm. And today, Katie, you have the floor. So who are we talking about? Tell me all the things and let's figure out what's going on. Okay, this is an unsolved missing person case. I'm just going to get that out of the way right now. A child... A smart, lovely, little nine-year-old girl. Okay. I hate that. Yeah. I struggled a bit naming this episode. Yeah. Because Antoinette Cayadito, she didn't vanish. She didn't disappear. She was stolen from her own home, abducted, and never found. And I know we've used those terms before, like disappeared, vanished. But when it's a child, a little girl, she did not just vanish into thin air. Someone did that to her. Yeah, someone did that to her. She did not just disappear. Right. All right, so to start at the very beginning, Antoinette Christine Cayadito was born on Christmas Day, December 25th, 1976, to Teresa Cayadito, who went by Penny. Now, Penny was of the Navajo Nation, and let me just tell you, or show you, Penny made the most beautiful little baby Antoinette Sweet Pea. I'm showing Tori the picture, but I'll have it up on social media, too. She is 
just perfect. Uh, she's the perfect little peach. She's got long dark hair, a little curtain bang action yeah. going on. Oh. The most gorgeous dark brown eyes, a beaming smile. It's such a nine-year-old smile, yeah, too. It Such is. a cute little smile. Uh-huh. Now, if you were to find articles about Antoinette online, a lot of them list a man named Anthony Montoya as her father. Just to clear things up as much as I can, it's thought that Anthony was simply the man that her mom, Penny, was seeing when Antoinette was born. Okay. A man named Larry Estrada has also been listed as Antoinette's father and listed as her stepfather, but I'm pretty sure he is her biological father. Estrada? Mm-hmm. Larry okay. Estrada. Police have specifically stated that he is her biological father. So Antoinette ended up becoming a big sister to two little sisters, Wendy and Sunita, who went by Sadie. And it's assumed that Anthony Montoya is their biological father. Antoinette was living in Gallup, New Mexico, which was indigenous land until it was stolen. Gallup sits right by a huge Navajo reservation, and close to half of the city's residents are of native descent, including Navajo, Hopi, and Zuni tribes. The population of Gallup in 1986, the year Antoinette was abducted, was around 19,000 people. So not a lot of people, but crime was pretty high there in the 80s, especially for it not being that big of a city. Okay. Um, Violent crime is still very high there. In fact, Gallup's violent crime rate is five times the national average, and your odds of becoming a crime victim there are one in nine, according to statistics. Wow, that's crazy. It's a pretty poor area, so property crime happens quite a bit. There aren't a ton of job opportunities. The public education system, from what I read, isn't the greatest. And these things can definitely factor into the crime rate. For sure. It's not all bad, though. I've never been there. But the landscape looks beautiful from the pictures I've seen. I mean, if we're grasping at straws here, that's it's pretty. Good. <laughs> I mean, it's desert. It's pretty desert. It's yeah. not where I'd want to live, but it's pretty. Yeah. You know, to they look have at. like the foothills. And, uh, you know. in, a, in a painted picture mm-hmm. for you. <laughs> um, the art and the culture and the food are spectacular from what I hear. And that's because the area is so ethnically diverse. So Penny, Antoinette's mom, despite having three girls who, with who were assuming two different fathers, she raised the girls on her own as a single mom. Oh, okay. So they all lived together, the four of them. This meant that a lot of the care of Antoinette's little sisters fell on Antoinette, as unfair as that is. By the time she was six years old, Antoinette was cooking and ironing clothes for her sisters. Six um, years old. Six. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. She definitely played a role in raising them. And Antoinette went missing at nine. So And, and a, that's probably because the, her mom probably worked multiple jobs, I assume. Yeah. And, and you'll see later on. There's other factors, too. Okay. Gotcha. Um, From the research I did, it seems like Antoinette was very, very mature for her age, clearly. Well, she probably had to be. Right. I mean, yes, she she had this life thrust upon her. Yeah. But it also seems that was kind of like her personality a little bit, too. An old soul, kind of. Um, But she was still a little girl, and she still liked to have fun and play. She was described by her parents in interviews as level-headed, wise beyond her years, scholastically dedicated, friendly, caring, and dependable. Antoinette's peers and teachers said that she displayed a concern for the well-being of others, particularly if they were downcast or in need. One of her little sisters said that Antoinette had a quote-unquote caregiver's heart. She loved all things purple. She liked listening to Michael Jackson and Ronnie Millsap, and Antoinette's nickname was Squirrel. 
I don't know why Squirrel, but (laughs) that was her nickname. In 1986, she was in the fourth grade at Lincoln Elementary School in Gallup. She was just the perfect little student. She took her schoolwork very seriously. She was great at sports. She actually, actually, remember the presidential fitness test? Yeah. In elementary school? Yes. Running the fucking mile yes. or w- walking the Sit mile. Sit up, pull ups. Yeah. Yeah. Hanging from uh-huh. the fucking thing. Yeah. Well, Antoinette won the presidential fitness award her wow. fourth grade year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, Antoinette, I see you. <laughs> She was also devoted to her faith and her Bible studies, just a well-rounded, amazing little girl. So at this time, Antoinette is nine, and she lived with her mom and her little sisters, Wendy, who was five, and Sadie, who was seven, at 204 Arnold Circle, apartment nine in Gallup. Her dad, Larry Estrada, was remarried and living on the other side of Gallup, and from what it sounds like, he was in Antoinette's life. I'm not sure how often they saw each other or what his responsibilities were as far as things like child support or having her certain days or whatever. Yeah. I'm not sure on that, but it seems like he was neither completely cut out of her life nor a constant in her life. So later on, Larry had this newspaper interview and he told the reporter for the Albuquerque Journal that Antoinette was, quote, nine going on 15, end quote. Wow. It's, like, sad in one way, but, like, also, like, commendable mm-hmm. in another. Yeah. I know. It's sad it's like that she, she was. Like, she kind of had to be. She shouldn't have had to have done right. all that. I don't know. Even if she wouldn't have had to do, like, the ironing and that, she probably still would have been an incredibly protective, mothering, caregiving yeah. type of older sister. She seemed just like a little mother hen. Yeah. In another interview, Wendy, so this was when Wendy was an adult, she said this, quote, The story I always heard was that Antoinette was like our mommy. She made sure all of our clothes were ironed for the week, made sure we were fed and the house was clean. When our mom went out, we usually had adult supervision, but a majority of times it was my sister helping the babysitter take care of us. Wow. I really don't want to lie and say I remember everything about her. I don't. I just go off the pictures and of the stories I was told as years go by. I really don't know her. It hurts me. End oh, quote. honey. Mm-hmm. That's so terrible. Yeah, because she was only, that was Wendy, and she was only five oh. when this happened. Yeah, you're not going to remember Mm-mm. that. So the three girls lived in that apartment with their mom. I couldn't find anything questionable about Penny or Antoinette's relationship with her, besides that maybe Penny relied on Antoinette a little too much, more, way more than a nine-year-old should be relied on. But they all seemed very close, and it's reported that the girls did all have their own beds to sleep on, but they were often found sleeping in their mother's bed, just to be close to her. Oh, wow. But Penny was 33 years old at the time, and she really liked to go out and have a good time, like what Wendy was alluding to in that quote. She would spend a lot of her nights out at different bars in town while the girls were at home. Sometimes they'd have a babysitter. Sometimes Antoinette was in charge. And like I said, she fell into that role naturally. Penny would typically stay out very late, even into the early morning hours. April 5th, 1986 was a Saturday. And that night, Penny was out drinking with some friends at a bar called Talk of the Town. Antoinette, Wendy, and Sadie were home at their apartment. They did have a babysitter that night. We don't know who that babysitter was. It's just, it's not out there to find, so I didn't find it. We don't know if they babysat for the girls regularly. We don't know if they were like a new babysitter, nothing. 
So Penny came home from the bar at around midnight and she sent the babysitter home. So it's the very early morning hours of Sunday, April 6th now. According to what Penny told the police, all three of the girls were still awake at this time and she let them stay up a little while longer. Penny said that she spent the next three hours, so until 3 a.m., talking to Antoinette while her two younger sisters began to fall asleep. Wow. Okay. That sounds weird to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So things get a little bit muddled here. It's been reported that right around this time, 3 a.m., there was a knock at the apartment door. Okay. It was reported later that Antoinette and Sadie were still awake to hear that knock. Penny told the police that she was up talking to Antoinette until 3 a.m., but somehow Penny never heard this knock. Okay, yeah, so that doesn't make any sense at all, really, right? I don't think so either. I mean, it's possible that Penny didn't want to look like a quote-unquote bad mom. Right, sure, of course. And really, like, just told the girls when she got home, you know, stay up, I'm going to bed. Yeah. Because maybe she was pretty tipsy. Right. Maybe she did stay up talking to Antoinette and Sadie was close to falling asleep, but she wasn't asleep completely yet sure and maybe penny went to bed right before this knock and like immediately passed out from drinking right you know there's a lot of different scenarios we just don't know yeah and i mean if you have you know ever consumed alcohol to a certain extent and you fall asleep normally you're pretty knocked out yeah i mean depending on how much you drank yeah you know Mm -hmm. so i could see both sides and we don't know we don't know if she was drunk at all right we don't even know if she drank right we just know she was out and Mm -hmm. she came home And, I mean, her time, if she was intoxicated, her time perception could have been off from drinking. The little girl's time perception, like, perception of time can be way off because they're little girls. They don't, they don't, kids don't operate on a time schedule. No, no, no. And they were tired. It was, you know. Right. The middle of the night. Right. For little kids, yeah. Maybe Penny didn't really remember any of it. We just, we don't know. Either way, there was reportedly a knock at the door that Penny didn't hear shortly after 3 a.m. Of course, that exact timing can't be confirmed. So it's been reported that Antoinette and Sadie chose not to answer the door. One article said that it was a man who knocked, and neither of the girls recognized him, and his voice didn't sound familiar to them. So this can't be confirmed either, but if that reporting was accurate, or as accurate as it could have been, Seeing as the witnesses were like a a seven-year-old and a five-year-old or whatever. Right. So if that's accurate, then Antoinette and Sadie must have been able to see the man at the door, either through a peephole or like a side window. And if they didn't recognize his voice, then he must have been speaking or yelling through the door. Right. Either way, the girls didn't answer that first knock. Penny's sleeping at this point, if her story's accurate. And so was five-year-old Wendy. Apparently, the man at the door left, and this is when Sadie finally fell asleep. Some reports say that Antoinette stayed up longer. Some reports say that she fell asleep as well. I know this is confusing, but just remember that all we have to go on is a seven-year-old's account and likely intoxicated Penny's account. We do know that another knock on the door came, and that second knock came sometime between 3.30 a.m. and 7 a.m., most likely closer to 6.30 or 7 a.m. And at the time, the only details law enforcement had was that the second knock on the apartment door happened, a male voice was heard on the other side, and Antoinette got out of her bed to go see what was going on. At right around 7 a.m., this was Sunday, April 6th, Penny woke up. Sadie and Wendy were in Penny's bed with her, but she didn't see Antoinette. 
Penny wasn't too concerned right away because like I said before, Antoinette would usually be up cooking or cleaning or getting ready for Sunday school, which she loved. So Penny got up out of the bed, but she quickly realized that Antoinette was not inside of the apartment at all. She was gone. Now, there was an Unsolved Mysteries episode on this case in 1992, and in that episode, Penny said, quote, We went looking for her around the house. Nothing. I didn't start panicking until we checked with all the neighbors, went to every house, and nobody had seen her, end quote. Penny also said that the night before, when she got home from the bar around midnight, she had locked the front door, but we don't know how intoxicated she was. Right. We don't know if one of the girls messed with the lock, because kids do that. We don't know if she locked it, you know, after the she sent the babysitter home. Right. And they unlocked it when right. they left. We don't know. We do know that, according to Penny, the door was unlocked that morning. And Penny did thoroughly check the neighborhood. She learned that one of her neighbors had a dog that was missing and that some kids were out looking for the dog, but it was determined that Antoinette was not with that little search party. It seems like Penny canvassed a good amount of the neighborhood, but she didn't find Antoinette and no one had seen her. So Penny called the police to file a missing person report. And there are various reports and accounts floating around out there, some saying that Penny was told she had to wait eight hours before filing a report, some saying that she was told she had to wait 24 hours. So it's unclear when exactly the the missing person report was filed for Antoinette. It's bullshit. Yeah, complete bullshit. It's a child. Right. (laughs) The deputy chief of police, a man named John Allen, would later say that yes, In 1986, we would have had to wait 24 hours to file a report for a missing child. It's just... Pathetic. Apparently, that's how it was. I don't don't understand. It's really just disgusting. Mm -hmm. And you know damn well, like, if that was a cop's kid, it would be, fuck that, we're looking now. Mm -hmm. There there wouldn't be rules and regulations. It would be, no, my child is missing, we're going to find them Mm -hmm. now. We are not going to sit here. And wait. Yeah, wait for what? Right. For what? Why? What? Why? And there was no Amber Alerts back then. Right. Or things like that, you know? Because this was what year? 86. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's also been reported that when Penny called the police station, she used the word abducted when describing what happened. After she called the police, Penny called Larry Estrada, Antoinette's dad. He came over to the apartment to help with the search efforts. The official police-sanctioned search for Antoinette started the next day, so Monday, April 7th. So she had been missing for quite some time before Penny or Larry got any professional help looking for her. While the search continued outside of the home, police interviewed Penny, Sadie, and Wendy, while other officers searched the Cayadito apartment for clues. Sadie told police about the knocks on the door. Penny reiterated that she never heard the knocks on the door and that Antoinette would not answer a knock on the door in the middle of the night to a stranger. Right. She knew better. But the police noted that there was zero sign of forced entry into the apartment, not on the door, not on any of the windows, no sign of a struggle, nothing. This led police to believe that Antoinette either knew the person or people who abducted her, or if she didn't know them, that she went with them willingly anyway for whatever reason they were able to rule out Antoinette running away from home because none of her belongings were missing 
I think they assumed that if a nine-year-old's gonna run away, they'd at least bring some clothes or possessions with them. They would bring, like, a Play-Doh yeah. and, like, a turtle, pet yeah. turtle. Like, it would be silly a things. Book. I remember doing that when <laughs> mm-hmm. I was little. Packing yeah. your suitcase. Yep. yep. But everything of Antoinette's was there besides the pink nightgown she was wearing that night. So it's not much to go off of at first. The Gallup Police Department enlisted the help of the New Mexico State Police and other agencies to help investigate and head searches for Antoinette. While they searched the immediate neighborhood at first, it ended up spanning several miles, and they even brought in a scent-tracking dog, but Antoinette's scent wasn't picked up by the dog anywhere outside of the apartment. What? Mm-hmm. Wow. Like, she was snatched from the front door, you know? Like, picked up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, physically picked up. Right. They distributed her photo. They practically went door to door throughout the entire town, and they just, they found nothing. Wow. And so the search was called off that Wednesday. So, like, Monday to From Wednesday? From Monday to Wednesday. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Everyone was kind of like, where the hell do we go from here? Like, there's literally nowhere to go. They've, they've gone door to door. They've searched, they, they searched like the foothills, everything. Yeah. And just found nothing until a neighbor of the Cayuditos came forward with a nugget of information. A nugget? A nugget. Wow, okay. This neighbor told police that she'd seen an older model brown truck or van with New Mexico license plates outside of Antoinette's apartment between 6.30 and 7 a.m. on the Sunday Antoinette went missing. The neighbor said that she saw a man get out of the vehicle walk up toward the apartment, and knock on the door. Okay. The only problem was this neighbor was not able to describe the man or the truck or van in any detail. Wow. Mm-hmm. No partial license plate, nothing. Wow. So they asked Penny and Antoinette's family, do you know anyone who owns a brown truck or van? And none of them did. So this was the extent of the evidence at this point. That's all that they had oh it certainly was just a nugget Mm -hmm. and it's practically nothing right i mean if you believe the neighbor or if you can rely on their judgment and memory right of the man and the van or the man in the truck it's very much possible that antoinette was taken by this man and put into the vehicle yeah now one thing i didn't mention about the city of gallup earlier is that route 66 runs right through it and route 66 if you're not from here It runs from Chicago all the way to California. So easy access right out of town. Yeah. And especially when you have uh, over a day's head head start. Yeah. You know. Right. Mm -hmm. It would be easy just jumping on the highway and having a a, 10 minute head start, Mm -hmm. let alone a day, over a day, more than likely. So this is the idea that they're running on. Antoinette was taken by that man, put into his car. They probably left town quickly. And later on that week, they're saying that Antoinette probably didn't know her abductor. And they say that because if whoever took her knew the family, they were assuming that the person would have made some sort of contact by that point. I mean, I'm not an investigator. I don't know the statistics in cases like this. But would they make contact? Well, you know? no. I mean, not unless they were wanting, like, money, which right. it didn't sound like Penny had money. Right. So there would be no motive for them to contact. Yeah, right. Unless it was, like, a ransom. Right. And it wasn't that, clearly. No. They would have 
they would something know. by now. Right. So if this guy took her and wasn't asking for ransom, I can think of about, oh, one other reason why a grown man would take a little girl. Right. You know? Right. And if that's the case, of course he wouldn't make contact. No. Why would he? There would be no reason to. No. I do know one statistic, and it isn't good. 74% of abducted children are murdered within the first three hours. Right. Of abduction when they're abducted by a stranger. And only 24% of kidnappings are done by a stranger versus a family member or acquaintance. Yep. In any case, all they have are theories. Nothing solid. Literally zero physical evidence to lead them in any direction. And so what do you do in that situation? You backtrack. You start over from the beginning and see if there's anything that you missed. They did more interviews. They asked Antoinette's family, her neighbors, is there anything you can think of that you didn't mention before? Even the smallest little detail can help. So one thing that came out of this second round of interviews was that Penny said, she didn't say this before, for whatever reason, she said that she had locked the screen door to the apartment as well that night. Okay. So they had a screen door and then the regular front door. And Penny said that when she got home the night of the abduction, after she sent the babysitter on their way, she locked both the screen door and the regular door. And this meant that Antoinette would have had to unlock the front door and the screen door when whoever that was came knocking on the door. Regardless, this kind of cemented the idea that Antoinette did know the person who took her because if it was her who unlocked both doors, she likely wouldn't have unlocked that second screen door to a stranger. I can see maybe the first one and being like, oh no, I don't know you. In my theory, she would. Mm -hmm. But... And then my thing with that is that typically locks on screen doors aren't shit. Right. You can usually give them a good tug and they'll open. Right. Even if they're locked. And I've I've done it by accident. Right. Ripped open a locked screen door and nothing happened to the door. No. Like you couldn't tell. And they're easy to jimmy too without even ripping it open. Mm-hmm. So somebody could have opened it, been waiting for her to unlock between the one. doors. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she might have opened the big door thinking, oh, we locked the screen door, so yeah, it's fine. exactly. Like to a nine-year-old, a nine-year-old isn't thinking, oh, he might have already, you know, mm-hmm. got through this one. Right. I can, no, she's thinking, oh, you know, let's see who it is. I'll open up this one. We're still okay. Yeah, there's still a barrier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, poor thing. She had to have been so terrified. Mm-hmm. So they're still on the theory that Antoinette did know her abductor in some way, whether it was a family member or... Just someone she knew. This could have meant someone from her school, her church, someone from the neighborhood or like a park that she went to regularly. Someone could have been watching her and maybe she didn't know them. Right. Maybe they knew her. Crime Stoppers put up a $500 reward for information leading to Antoinette's whereabouts. They were getting some tips called in and they checked them all out, but they ultimately didn't lead to anything. And it's worth noting that while I had the feeling that It seemed like the police were doing everything they could with so little to go on. Penny and Larry both thought that the police were not doing enough. They weren't putting a lot of effort into finding Antoinette. And I mean, yeah, imagine it's your child. I was just thinking that. I was thinking no matter what the police did, if my Mm -hmm. child was missing, it wouldn't be enough. It's not enough. Ever. Right. And and the people with all of the resources can't find her. Like, that's got to be frustrating and heartbreaking. I, I don't know. No, I completely agree. While Larry took to the streets to talk to people he knew who weren't walking the straight and narrow, so to speak, to see if they could tell him anything about who might have taken Antoinette, Penny 
got in touch with a Navajo medicine woman, and this medicine woman came to the Cayadito apartment to perform a ceremony that they hoped would help in the search for Antoinette. Nothing came of it. And Penny would go on to try this multiple times, along with consulting with psychics. Wow. Okay. And she just wasn't able to get any information that helped. Penny kind of deteriorated as the years went on, and I mean, of course she did. The entire family, really. Antoinette's sisters, it was just a horrific thing for them to have to go through. But Penny started drinking very heavily, and when that wasn't numbing the pain enough, she turned to drugs. Of course, that impacted her ability to take care of Wendy and Sadie, and it turned into this cycle. Wendy started using drugs, too, as she got older, and just really, it's just really sad. It's sad how it impacted them. Yeah. So the police kept working the case as much as they could. We know they had nothing to go on, but they soon realized that a name popped up several times in various interviews. Wes Daniels. Wes was a 62-year-old. He worked as a service technician, and he lived in the area. When police spoke with a group of neighborhood boys, aged 9 to 11... They learned that Wes Daniels liked to take the boys on picnics. Wow. And sexually abuse them. Oh my God, those poor babies. Mm -hmm. Once this came out, (sighs) they arrested Wes and they were thinking that maybe he could have had something to do with Antoinette's abduction, but they couldn't make any connections. The boys said that Antoinette was never at any of the picnics. So Wes Daniels is a nasty ass scumbag, but not the nasty ass scumbag we're looking for yeah and keep in mind like what like listeners keep in mind mm-hmm. what you had said about the crime rate yeah in gallup like mm-hmm. criminals were not like it wasn't just one criminal in, right. in that city there was a lot of them yeah so, and, and he lived in her neighborhood yeah and know? there could have been 10 other ones mm-hmm. that lived in her neighborhood too. so i can understand why they you know yeah. when this information came out why they for sure thought it might have been him um it wasn't but he was sentenced to 32 years in prison and it should have been forever yeah, yeah for, for what opinion. he did to the boys yep. mm-hmm. i agree so an entire year goes by an entire year without antonette no leads no idea where this little girl was. And on April 12th, 1987, the Gallup Police Department gets a phone call. I'm going to play this phone call. It's short, but it's horrifying. No. So this is your warning. If you don't want to hear it, I skip don't. ahead like 30 seconds. Gallup Police Department. Hello. I'm Antonette Gallup. That gives me the chills. I can't stand that. That hurts my fucking heart so bad. Like, I could cry. It's horrible. And the thing is, so that was, like, about a year later. Mm -hmm. And so you know, I mean, who would say that? And they would know their child's voice. Right. So if that was her, like, if you say, if you tell me that that's her or they claim that that's her, that means that she has been enduring some kind of abuse for a year. Right. Nonstop. So just in case you couldn't make it out or you didn't listen to that phone call, so you can hear a little girl say, I'm Antoinette Cayadito, twice. She says that twice. And she says she's in Albuquerque. Then you can hear a deeper voice in the background saying, who said you could use the phone? And then it sounds like they're pulling her away and she screams. Yeah. A horrifying scream. Mm Mm-hmm. A terrified scream is yeah. what it was. Yeah. Like she was terrified of what was about to happen. And that like literally breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. So 
This phone call was recorded automatically because it came to the police station. However, the call was cut short before any tracing of its origin was able to be done. The original recorded phone call was 40-something seconds long, and what I played for you was only like 20-something seconds. From what I've read, and I can't personally confirm the truth to this, is that the part that we don't have access to, the second half of that call, it sounds like an older male was talking, but no distinguishable words. And of course, they play this phone call for Penny. And she says 100% that was Antoinette. Oh my god. She said the voice was hers. The scream was hers. The way she said her name was hers. On Unsolved Mysteries, Penny said, quote, a mother knows, and I know that was her. Yeah. End quote. Yeah. There is a debate, though, still all of these years later, that the call could have been a hoax. And on one hand, I'm like, yes, a mother does know. But on the other hand, it was not a 911 call. This call went directly to the non-emergency phone number at the Gallup Police Department. That's weird. She was only 10 years old. She would have been 10 years old when she made this phone call. And I mean, like, would she have the Gallup non-emergency number memorized? That is weird. You know, I don't, I don't know that growing up we, we would have, we would have known that. Yeah, we I, had, I would have no clue. I still no. don't know what it is. She was, she was over 100 miles away in Albuquerque, according to this phone call. Right. So it's not like she had a phone book or it's not like they had it on the fridge, the Gallup. Right police department and you would think you would just dial 911 right no matter not, what yeah. even if you did know that and it was an emergency right and 911 is what's beaten into our heads as kids right you know call 911 that's weird so if she only had a few minutes to sneak and use the phone wouldn't you think she yeah she would call 911 but it does sound like a little girl it does which is what i don't get because that's a little girl yeah is that the best actress little girl you could find? And what's and, the, what would be the point of doing that? Right. And Besides, you know, people fuck? do fucked up shit. But right. Come on. How can you get a little girl to... You could feel it in her voice. Yeah. Yes. So I'm just hung up on... I have the chills again. Yeah. Because it just I'm, like... Yeah. I don't know why she would have called that number, though. That is you very know? weird. I wonder what... Yeah. Like, if you only have a few seconds, you know that they're coming or, you know, that they could come. But find yeah. you using the phone. But a mother does know, too. Mo- so yes. I don't like... That's the thing, too. You know your child's voice. Mm-hmm. You know how they talk. You know their mannerisms when yeah. they do talk. Like Either that's an adult doing the best impression of a 10-year-old ever. Which would mean it would yeah. be someone who knows her. Yeah. Or I just guess. heard about the case, I guess. Yeah, but how would they know her voice and stuff? True. You know what I mean? That's like, true. They would have to know her to be able to talk so much like Speak her. Speak like her. That's true. That, yeah. to, to fool her own mother. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know, but it's it's horrifying. Yeah. So they did go with what Penny said, that Antoinette made that phone call. They kept it private until January of 1989, two years later, when the recording was released to the public via the radio. The reason why they didn't release it sooner was because they didn't want to unintentionally put Antoinette in more danger if her abductors caught wind that they had the call recorded. Tips were called in when they released the audio, but none of the leads panned out. Again. This really put the spotlight back on Antoinette, though, and the search for her. But after nothing came from it, things died down again, and it would stay that way for years. So, we're in 1989 still, and something really, really strange happens. It's 
not a break in the case, but it has to do with Antoinette because on September 5th of that year, Antoinette's aunt, Luisa Estrada, went missing from Gallup what? while she was out on a walk. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Luisa reportedly has intellectual disabilities, and according to Luisa and Larry's mom, so Luisa was Antoinette's dad's Larry's sister. Yeah. According to their mom, Luisa would have had what sounds to me like panic attacks when she was away from her home for too long. She was last seen in a Gallup Park talking to a guy who looked to be in his 20s, and she hasn't ever been found either. Wow. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. So this led people to think that maybe Luisa and Antoinette's disappearances were connected, but who knows? Mm -hmm. Isn't that weird? That's very weird. Mm Mm-hmm. So like I okay so I can see in a in a town or city with 19,000 people and the crime rate being high that two people go missing and and we never know who where right. they go but I do not see two people in the same family. Yeah. It, at separate times. Two vulnerable people. It's just so weird. Or Louisa knew something. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Which is I mean which would be make her connected but I mean like that could be why she went missing. Yeah. She overheard something. She could have been there that night. She could have been there that night. Because later on, you'll see. Okay. okay. God, it's so mind-boggling to me. In 1991, the FBI released two age-progressed photos of what Antoinette might look like at the age of 14. Okay. Several months after releasing them, the police in Carson City, Nevada, received a tip from a server who said she waited on a girl who looked a lot like Antoinette's age-progressed photo. This server said the girl looked to be around 14 to 15 years old, and she was dining in the restaurant with an unkempt couple. She said the entire time this couple and the girl were eating, the girl kept dropping her silverware on the floor, like, on purpose. When the server would pick up the silverware and hand it back to the girl, the girl would squeeze the server's hand as if she was trying to tell her something. Wow. When the couple and the girl left, a napkin with a note on it that read, help me, call police, was found underneath the girl's plate. God. Now, for those of you not in the U.S., Carson City, Nevada is a different state, almost 900 miles away from Gallup. The police in Carson City did contact the Gallup police, but this sighting, and it if it really was Antoinette, it couldn't be confirmed. It was somebody who needed help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. But no by matter the time, what way you look at it. Yeah. Also, I was just thinking they would run after that phone call was recorded if it really right. was. I feel like the minute that they knew that, that, that they had that phone call, they could think mm-hmm. that they could trace it. They would go on the run for right. sure. Also, I'm saying they because potentially the couple sitting there in that booth. Mm-hmm. But also because of the way the man said, who told you you could use the phone? I know that that's just like a saying, like, who told you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But that makes me think, like, there's more than someone else there. Mm-hmm. There's more and, than one person there. Yeah. And there are people who think that, or there are accounts out there. I shouldn't say people who think. There are different reports out there that one of the sisters said there were two people Yeah. at the house that night. Okay. And I talk more about that later. But yeah. So there are people who doubt the legitimacy of this sighting, too, like... Was it really her? Was it just another child in danger? Or was it a prank? Like, there's no way of knowing. And the server said that by the time she saw the note, they were long gone. Yeah. So, also in 1991, two FBI agents wanted to interview Wendy themselves. So, remember, Wendy was only five when Antoinette was taken. 
Right after Antoinette was abducted, Wendy said that she had heard, so in her initial interview, she said that she had heard the second knock on the door, but she went back to sleep. Now, at 10 years old, Wendy was saying that she really didn't go back to sleep that night. She said that she got up out of bed and followed Antoinette to the door. She said that Antoinette got to the door, but but Wendy kind of hung back, stayed behind. Wendy said the man knocked and Antoinette asked, who's there? And according to Wendy, the man said, it's Uncle Joe. Do they have an Uncle Joe? Well, and then Antoinette opened the door. Wendy said that the man immediately grabbed Antoinette, covered her mouth with his hand, while Antoinette struggled and tried to scream and kick and do anything she could to get out of his grasp. And like I just said a few minutes ago, there are some reports out there that Wendy said two people abducted Antoinette. Wendy said Antoinette was thrown into the back of the brown van and driven away. Wendy could not give a physical description of the person who took Antoinette. So they're like, Wendy, why didn't you say any of this before? Wendy told the agents that her mom was so upset that she didn't want to upset her even more and she didn't want to get in trouble. She, she was five. Yeah, right. The first time, you know? Right. When the FBI interviewed Sadie, she had more information too. Sadie recalled hearing a male voice and a female voice on that night during the first knock on the door. The voices said that they were their aunt and uncle and to hurry up and open the door because they were cold. Part so either, of me yeah. wants to just like believe this because mm-hmm. why not? But part of me feels like this was like implanted information. Yeah. Right? Yeah, either that or you know what I mean? I don't want to I don't want to discredit these girls, but is that reliable? They were 5 and 7. Right. So, I don't know. I don't I, know. Yeah, we can't ever um, we'll know we we will never know. No, but of course they had to look into the Uncle Joe thing. Yeah. So, they do, and Penny's sister was married to a man named Joe. Okay. This would have made him Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe. They paid him a visit asked where he was on the night Antoinette was taken, but he gave them a verifiable alibi. Fuck. So, but this doesn't mean that the man who came to the door really was Uncle Joe. Right. It could have been someone who knew they had an Uncle Joe. I was just going to say, but it would still have to be someone who knows them. And they use it as a ruse to get Antoinette to open the door. Right. There's also the idea that Antoinette might not have been singularly targeted, because how would that person know that she would be the one to open the door. Right. You know what I mean? Like, they were just, were they hoping to grab a kid, any kid? Right. I, I don't know. It's just so Maybe weird Maybe there to was me. never a door to be opened at all. Right. Yeah. So, Wendy's new account of that night helped them fill in some holes, they said, but it still didn't get them any closer to finding Antoinette, and her case went cold again. In 1992, Penny visited another Navajo medicine woman and had her perform a crystal ritual in hopes of new information, and the medicine woman reportedly said that Antoinette was still alive and she was being held against her will by someone she knew in the southwestern United States. The medicine woman also said that she thought Antoinette might have given birth to a child at this point. The Unsolved Mystery segment on Antoinette also aired in 1992, and they did get several tips from it, but once again, nothing that led them anywhere. And just like in so many publicized missing persons cases, there have been alleged sightings of Antoinette all across the U.S., but none have been confirmed. In April of 1999, Penny passed away at the age of 46 from cirrhosis of the liver and cardiac complications. 
When the police got wind that Penny was about to pass, they rushed to her bedside to question her one last time. So that's interesting. They had probably just been talking and thinking about interviewing her Mm -hmm. again. Or had suspicions or Mm -hmm. something, but they didn't make it on time to talk to her. Oh, fuck. No. (laughs) I just said, yeah, like I knew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know. Um, Wow. Antoinette's dad, Larry, passed away in 2012. Fuck. And I mentioned earlier that Wendy unfortunately followed in Penny's footsteps with the heavy drinking and drugs. She joined gangs and she ended up losing custody of her own children later in life. Oh, Wendy. She was able to eventually turn her life around and get sober. And she had this kind of realization that her life played out the way it did directly because of Antoinette's kidnapping. Yeah. The FBI officially closed their investigation in 2006 Though the Gallup Police's case remains open, there just isn't any activity. Antoinette was added to NamUs in 2009. They took DNA from Wendy and Sadie and compared it to different Jane Doe's, I think like five altogether, but none of them were a match. Now, as we get into a few theories, I just want to start (laughs) by saying that these online sleuths are devoted to finding Antoinette. This is like a big one on web sleuths. And I was perusing web sleuths, and I came across several comments saying that shortly after Antoinette went missing, Penny suddenly came into possession of a brand new vehicle. Hmm. Like a sports car, well beyond her financial means. Wow. And I want to, this is a rumor. Yeah. I don't know the validity of it. I have no idea. It's not confirmed. But then I saw this article that someone posted from the Gallup Herald. The article was published in 2010, and it includes this quote from Gallup Police Department detective Marty Escabel. Quote, I'm pretty confident Penny had knowledge of who took Antoinette based on her failing a polygraph test administered by the FBI. I'm sorry, what? End quote. Yeah. Yeah, we know that polygraphs don't necessarily mean shit. Right, but which is why you cannot use them in court. Right, but apparently she passed the one given to her by the Gallup police and then failed the FBI polygraph. And I didn't even know until I was wrapping up this research that she was even looked at in that way. Yeah, right. I had no idea. I did have some suspicions because yeah. of the night that Antoinette was taken, Penny's account, it was just strange. Mm-hmm. And the abducted night. thing. Yeah. The, that and, like, the timing. Like, we, I stayed up and talked to Antoinette till three in the morning. Like, you're yeah. nine-year-old. I don't know. It was really weird right. to me. Um, but if she really did get this new car a week later, it could have been some sort of trafficking right. on Penny's part. Right. I'm not, I'm not accusing her. No. Of anything. But it's a theory. Right. There have been rumors that Penny and Larry were both involved in drug trade. They're rumors. I don't know. At the very least, I think Penny did know more than she told, whether she was involved or not. I think she was keeping some secrets. Yeah. Um, And I want to be very clear that this is just a theory. Right. It's just speculation. My theory Mm -hmm. was that if someone did come to the door and all of that, I was thinking that... She wouldn't have fought and she wouldn't have screamed and all of that if whoever it was, whether she knew them or whether she didn't, said, if you come with me, the rest of your family will be unharmed. She would have one million percent done it. I think so, too. Because she loved them more than more than anything. Yeah. Those were her people. And and she would do anything to protect them. I am without a doubt about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And then well, and then there's Wendy. I think it was Wendy said that she watched a man cover Antoinette's mouth and and carry her away. 
But we don't know if that, we don't know right. if that happened. Somebody took her one way or another. Somebody right. took her. That's that's all we do know. The next theory is that Antoinette was taken by a complete and total stranger. Joe is a super common name. This random guy could have just said off the cuff, it's Uncle Joe. And it it could have been someone's Uncle Joe. Yeah. And it was a coincidence that they really did have an Uncle Joe. Um, I personally don't think it was a stranger. Yeah. Just because if it was a stranger targeting a random house, how did they know who would answer the door? How did they know Penny wouldn't answer? Right. Unless they were looking through windows. I don't know. It just doesn't... I don't know. Because most Someone of the knew. time, if you go to a house in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. a parent will answer. Yeah. And if you're knocking, you're knocking on the door? Knocking. Who would knock on a door? They knew. That's I, the whole other thing is, who would knock on a door to abduct a child? You wouldn't knock on a door. And how would you know that they're awake Yes. to knock? Yes. Unless that was a routine thing for them to be up that late. I don't know. That's not... That didn't happen. None of that happened. I don't know. That's Unless they really theory. did use the, un- it's your aunt and uncle, open that, the door. And when they did, you know, snatch and go. I don't think anybody knocked on yeah, that door. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, were they casing the house? Did they look in a window and see Penny passed out? There were exterior windows and it was ground level. So someone could have been looking in. Yeah. Or none of it happened. Yeah, none of that I happened. Don't. And it was a complete setup from yeah, the inside. I think so. I don't know whether Penny was involved or not. Which I'm not 100% sold on. I do think that either Antoinette knew her abductor or they knew her. And they knew how to get to her. Or even maybe one of her little sisters. Like I said, maybe they weren't picky. Maybe they were just going to take whoever they could get. You know, They waited a long ass time. Yeah. 3 a.m.? I know. It's just so weird. Why wouldn't you go at 11? Well, three. yeah. 3 a.m. The first knock right. was reportedly 3. And right. then it was like 6.37. Right. And that doesn't make sense either to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. An, an abductor doesn't want to hang out around a place for three hours mm-hmm. while yeah. people can get license plate info and right. and vehicle info. Yeah, and what, what were they doing for those three hours? Right. Did they stay there? Did or they did, go out you for know? breakfast? Yeah. Like, fuck. That, none of that makes sense to me. No. The more I think about it over the course of this, I do not think that happened. Yeah. There are some people who think that Antoinette's still alive and somewhere out there and maybe she doesn't know that she's missing. Right. They, you know, she could have been completely brainwashed, essentially. And How many know, years has it been? Um, It's been 30-something years. She would be 44. Think about yeah. being with a captor for 30-ish years mm-hmm. and yeah. all of the emotional turmoil that that would do to you. Right. She might not even know who she is. Yeah, so, I mean, it's possible. Statistically, though, it's not likely that she's still alive, but it's possible. Yeah. And either she doesn't know she's missing or she does and she's been held against her will, you know, with threats of violence or whatever this whole time. And I would assume after that first phone call that Mm -hmm. she got to police, if that was her, they've been very careful to not let her make any other calls. Right. You know what I mean? Which would explain her not reaching out. They learned from it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Antoinette Cayadito went missing from the 200 block of Arnold Street in Gallup, New Mexico, on April 6, 1986. She was nine years old. She was last seen wearing a knee-length pink nightgown. She was known to wear a silver chain with a small turquoise cross pendant on it. At the time of her disappearance, she was four foot seven and weighed approximately 55 pounds. She has black hair and brown eyes and has dark-colored moles on her right cheek, nose, back, and on one of her ankles. Her ears were pierced, 
and she has scars on one of her knees and on her lip. Currently, her case is classified as a non-family abduction. If alive, she would be 44 years old. Now, there are newer age-progressed um, photos out there, and I'll share them, and I'd like you to share them too. Me? Or the listeners? Talking to everybody, you <laughs> and the listeners. Um, I'm going to post them. Please share them. They actually show what she would look like up until the age of 36. So they would be somewhat accurate. Yeah, that she wouldn't look too much different yeah. less than a decade later, I wouldn't think. Mm-hmm. And if you have any information regarding this case, you can contact the Gallup Police Department at 505-863-9365 or Crime Stoppers at 505-722-6161. The thing that always gets me is somebody knows. Right. There is someone who knows. At least one person, if not Mm -hmm. more, know what happened. It's where she is, where she was, and they have information. And mm-hmm. eventually, someone's conscience is going to eat them alive. Yeah, I hope so. And time is going to run out. If she's not alive, at least her sisters are. Yeah. Give them some closure, you know? Give her f- some fucking closure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She is a human being. Mm-hmm. It's just a hard one. This one was very hard for me. They always are. It, it always is very hard when it's a kid. But especially when they're around my kids' ages. Yeah. It's so hard. It guts me. And, you know, there are serial killers and abductors and and people who are committing these crimes that Google the names of these people Mm -hmm. so they can stay on top of the case. And there is a chance that whoever did this could be Googling her name Mm -hmm. and could be listening to this podcast when it pops up on Google. Yeah. Do the right thing. It's just so fucking unfair. She was a child. A fucking little baby. A sweet, smart, beautiful little girl who this should have never happened to. Like, I hate, I fucking hate grownups, man. Adults fuck everything up. They really, really do. God. And her baby sister seeing that if, if that was, you know, if that really happened, her little sister seeing this man steal her big sister from their home. That gets me too. Where you're supposed to be safe. Mm-hmm. Where, she, you know, yep. as a child at least. She should have been safe there. Everyone should be safe in their homes. Just keep your kids safe, guys. Because no parent or child or sibling should have to go through this. And it's a lasting thing, mm. you know. Yeah. It haunted Penny. It haunted Larry. And so they both yeah. died. It changed the trajectory of, of the kids' their lives. lives. Mm-hmm. It is so fucked up and there's no other way to put it. And I, I just, just hope... It. Her little face. Yeah. Oh, my God. I just hope that eventually someone steps up. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Share the photos, please. The age-progressed photos. I will label them all and see if I can find an updated missing persons poster. Because that's easier to share sometimes with all of the information right there. Yeah, with the Gallup Police Mm -hmm. number and all of that as well. Yeah, it doesn't matter how long ago this was. It doesn't matter we're we've said this a lot but we're seeing these cases get solved right all the time now and if it was your child you would never stop would it matter if it was you know two hours or 40 years yeah all right tori ready to lighten up this pie (laughs) lighten up a pie sure lighten up the pie what are you reading watching unless i can tell i can't get out of bed today or get you off my mind yeah 
that's basically how I feel. Um, I haven't been reading a whole lot, I don't think, have I? I don't think I've been reading. Um, I did download Liv Constantine's new book. It's called The Stranger in the Mirror. I like everything that those two ladies write. Okay. Love them. Um, I also downloaded We Need to Talk About Kevin by mm-hmm. Lionel Shriver. Obviously, we need to talk about Kevin. I have been listening to some more podcasts again lately. One of them that I've been listening to weekly, religiously, is Unraveled with Alexis and Billy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've also just started listening to Murder in Alliance, which is a a series. And it is headed by, I think she's a journalist, Maggie Freeling, who did the Maura Murray ID or or I think she special. is. I think I I think I had a like a class thing. Yeah, she's like really a, pretty. Long her. dark hair, tattoos, piercings. Yeah, yes, I love yes. her. That, I think yep, she's. I had a crime con thing with her. Okay. Yeah, I think she's incredible. I think she's just awesome. So yeah, I've been listening to that, and then just the normal crime junkie, red handed. Oh. I listened to the new the two new your own backyards. Yes, what too. I was just waiting for him to come back with his with mm-hmm. these updates. And he did not disappoint. Chris Lambert is no. basically a podcast god. And it's going to be so hard because it's literally happening right now. Yeah. And he, it's probably so hard to, to what, what can you say? What can't you say? What do you know? Like, right. And you know. know, it sounds like he's become very entangled in this. Yeah. Like he's become incredibly vital and important to law enforcement, mm-hmm. investigators, and the smart family too. Yeah. Just a stand-up guy. Yeah. Stand-up guy. I think he's incredible. Yeah. Um, Also, I started watching Sex Life. Yeah. (laughs) Because obviously we know B.B. Easton. Mm -hmm. I think we've probably both talked to her and we want to support her. Yeah. That is, in case you guys don't know, her book adapted into this new Netflix series. And I'm sure you've all heard of the Netflix series, Mm -hmm. which is called Sex Life. Apparently there's a guy's dick that's really big in it. I saw. I did see that part. (laughs) Katie skipped right to that part. I'm still on episode two. The book that it was adapted from was called, or the book that it is adapted from is called 44 Chapters About Four Men, I think. And it's by B.B. Easton. And now it's turned into sex life and it's all the rage, I hear. All the rage. All the rage. There's lots of sex. Yeah. Lots of boobs. Lots of life. And apparently a big dick. So yeah, that's really all I've been doing. I had a very busy week last week. You guys. Real quick before Katie goes, if you are a Patreon member and you have not been on Patreon, I uploaded six new episodes. You did the damn thing. I did the damn thing. Six new episodes um, and actually no, seven new episodes. Six are just me, so I'm sorry about that. But one of them (laughs) is the two of us and we're talking about the Tote family. Mm -hmm. So there's seven new episodes, one for every day of the week. Go listen to them. Go listen. I had a very, I had a pretty chill little break. Because my children were gone for most of it. Since I really didn't do anything, I finished a book. Isn't that like shocking? Very shocking. I finished a book. It's called Following You by Eva Lesko Natiello. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Well, you started reading it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see the cover. It's the butterfly cover. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> I don't know her. <laughs> wow. I'm like six chapters in. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that this title sounds familiar, but I think it's because it's a very like. I think there's probably a lot of books yeah. called Following You. 
but it might be mm. because I read it. You know, it sounded so intriguing. The first few chapters were intriguing, but I think I give it like a three. Three out of five? Three out of five. Yeah. It didn't go where I wanted it to go, which is kind of unfair because it's not my fucking book. But I didn't, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't care for it. Not that it was bad. Yeah. It just wasn't what I was expecting. It and did not meet your expectations. It could have been better. There were unanswered questions and, you know, but I also started another book called A Familiar Sight by Brianna Labuskis. Labuskis? Okay, sure. This one's incredible so far. Really? This one won't disappoint you. It is about, I think it's first in a series, which I did not know, Okay. but it is Gretchen something. And she's a diagnosed sociopath. Ooh. And she helps the Boston Police Department solve murders. Okay. And so the one that's happening in this book, this first book, is a, like, 12-year-old little girl is a violent psychopath, and she murdered her mother. And it's all twisted. It's all tangled up. All the characters are entwined, and it's really well-written. Okay. And that's really about it. No new podcast. Just just my regs. All the regs. Okay, so tell them where they can find us so they can boost us up in the algorithms of yeah. all the social medias. <laughs> you can stalk us at cruel and unusual the pot at gmail.com if you'd like to send an email send a story we do those if we get them we do them instead of articles so that's fun yeah whatever kind of story you want funny scary whatever you can look at our instagram at cruel and unusual the pod i tweet J tweets at cruel unusual pod and we also tiktok now and we have been for a week or two and that is at cruel underscore <laughs> and underscore unusual underscore the pod join our facebook group cruel and unusual colon the group you can go to cruelincmedia.com for merch patreon link and and stuff like that join us on patreon if you would like and don't forget you guys can send us via voice memo your qotdw so mm-hmm. all of our lovely listeners can hear your voices Anything on the pod Anything you want to know about us or anything you want us to answer, um, it doesn't have to be true crime related. It can be, though. That's good. We like that. But we'll see you next week. We will see you on the flip side, motherfucker. All right. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye.